Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Good morning. Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 as we begin. Um, This morning, as we are on our third Sunday of Advent, uh, we are looking at the idea of peace. And we've already read from Isaiah or heard from Isaiah in our Advent readings this morning. But I want us to take a look at this passage again and... um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah writes these words as a promise to the people of Israel waiting for a deliverer. And and he gives these words in a time of distress and hardship. And he says, uh, there will come one who... Uh, will be born, and, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Fast forward a few centuries to chapter Luke, or to Luke chapter 1, and here you have the people of Israel still waiting, uh, now under captivity and, and under distress from, an, from a new foreign power. It's no longer the Assyrians that they're worried about. Now it's the Romans. And in Luke chapter 1, you begin to, to see the story and the unfolding of, of these children who are, who are prophesied to be born. First to Zechariah, and, and they're going to have a son named John. And Zechariah, uh, as is his son is born, they name him John. Zechariah had been silent for, since the time the birth was announced until the time that he said his name is John. And Zechariah, as, as his son is born, he then, filled with the Holy Spirit, gives this prophecy. And beginning in verse 76, speaking to John, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And Zechariah looks at his son and he says, you will be the one to, to prepare the way for the one who is to come that's going to be announcing peace for us at last. To prepare the way to guide our feet into the path of peace. Fast forward again, just next chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We look at these passages every year at this time as we, as we reflect on the Christmas story. Isaiah and the promise of peace. Uh, Zechariah and John and the one who is going to usher in the one to bring peace. And then the announcement of the angels. Peace on earth. We hear this again and again. We see it. We, we write it on our Christmas cards. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Um, this is a central idea to what the Christmas story is all about. And yet here in the promise of peace, if we, if we continue, would continue to read the gospel story and continue to read Luke, uh, the one who was announced to bring peace, we see uh, the story concludes with him hanging on a cross and, eventually, and his eventual resurrection from the dead. The, the book of Luke ends, the, the book of Mark ends, the book of Matthew, John, all of the Gospels ends, and not with peace on earth and goodwill towards men, but Israel is still in captivity. They're still under the Roman rule. And so you have this sense that these announcements are here and, and this promise is here for the people. And yet, if you read the Gospels, it seems like this promise is unfulfilled. That peace didn't come. That, that they're still in suffering. And yes, uh, you have this sense that the one who is going to bring peace, uh, he, he was raised to life after his death. But still, what did he accomplish? It feels unfulfilled. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 Paul was a good Jewish rabbi, uh, originally persecuted the early Christians, uh, and eventually became, came to put his faith in Christ as well. And so the Apostle Paul is, is writing to this church in Colossians, and he's writing about, about Jesus. And he says this to, to them. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul is saying the peace that Christ was going to bring is still coming, but there is a peace that he has already brought, and this peace has come through his death and his resurrection. That in what seemed like his defeat, hanging on a cross to die, that he actually was bringing peace for you and for us to be reconciled with God. And he says, as, as he describes what happened, and, he, and he, he'll say this again and again throughout many of his letters, but we're just going to look at Colossians today. He's saying that in us, those of us who have, have received this peace, 
who know this Jesus, that in us the first fruits of this coming peace have already been sown. That the one who is the Prince of Peace has brought peace for, for us between us and God, and that he is sowing the, fruits, the first fruits of the eventual peace for the world within us. That, that he's, he's placed within us uh, this calling to be people of peace. If you turn over, and if you're already in Colossians, if you turn over just a couple chapters to Colossians chapter 3, he's, he's describing what has happened, what the work of Christ has done. And he says this in verse 11, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's saying that in Christ, in the work of Christ that's in us, the divisions that existed in our world between the Gentiles and the Jews, between the barbarians, the Scythian, uncircumcised, circumcised, the slaves and the free, that all of those are torn down in Christ, that we are one in him. And this potential for peace exists within us, and this calling to be people of peace exists in who we have become in Christ. That we, Paul says in Galatians, he says that, that those of us who have the Holy Spirit um, are to be bearing the fruit of peace in our lives. And so as we, as we come to Christmas and we come to this season where we, where we proclaim and we hear this message of peace and we look at our world and we look at our own relationships and we see this, this unfulfilled peace, we recognize this morning that, that our calling as Christians and our identity as Christians is to be people of peace. And I want to show you just a couple places where this shows up. Ephesians chapter 4. I think we have a slide for that. He says, Paul says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One more, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul says that we are to pursue peace, to chase after it. This, this word that, that he uses in, when he talks about pursuing peace has the idea of, uh, sometimes it gets translated as, as persecution, but the idea is that we, that we run after it, that we hunt it down. Sometimes it's, it's the idea of hunting down. And so this idea is not that oftentimes when we think of, of being people who, who want to be peaceful people, we think, well, I'm just going to avoid conflicts. I'm just going to kind of stay out of the way and mind my own business. And I will at least have peace with the people around me. And if they're, if they're causing conflicts, if there's, if there's problems, that's, that's their issue. But what Paul actually says is that we are to be people who pursue peace. Who, who chase after it, who when we, when we experience conflict in our lives, when, when, it, when we're experiencing 
uh, stress and strain in our relationships that we don't just pull back and let peace somehow happen by us not doing anything. Because that's not really peace, that's just the tension that exists and we're not talking about it. But Paul says that we are to be people who chase after peace. That when we see conflict in relationships around us, maybe not our own, that we are the people who step in and say, here, let's work towards healing in this relationship. Let's work towards reconciliation. When we are in tension with somebody else, that we don't wait for them to be the ones who say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And until they ask for forgiveness, we're not going to give it. But that we actually go to that person and, and work towards healing in our relationship. We work towards peace in our relationship because we are people who have the first fruits of peace sown within us. And we are to be people who pursue it, who chase after it at all costs. This idea is that you don't rest until peace is present in all of our relationships, in all of our conflicts, that we are people who chase after peace. And I want to give you just a few thoughts of what this looks like. Uh, Turn to Romans chapter 12. And I promise this is the last place I'm going to make you turn. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse, let's just begin in verse 14. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he doesn't say wait until somebody else does the work of peace and then, and then you'll be willing to engage in peace. But, but as far as, as, as lo- much as it's up to you, you be people who pursue peace. And you may be in a situation where the person who you're trying to find peace with doesn't want to have anything to do with it and wants to continue fighting and continue working. And he doesn't say, if that's the case, then just give up and walk away from them. But he says, as far as it depends on you, continue to work towards peace. Continue to look and chase after peace. As much as it's within your power to bring about healing in your relationship, as much as it's within your power to forgive, as much as it's within your power to to seek repentance and to apologize for something that you've done to harm somebody else. Whatever it is that you can do, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not just live at peace with the people that you like and the people who it's easy to live at peace with, uh, but live at peace with everyone. He says, as much as it depends on you. He says, you do the work of peace. 
Don't be waiting around for someone else to do it. You do the work. And then Romans 14, just uh, this next chapter. There's um, some context in this chapter 14. Paul is, is writing about these, these questions about how should, what should, what's appropriate within the, within the context of the church. And there's all these questions of, uh, at, at certain times, there's, well, can we eat this food that was sacrificed to idols? Is that, is that okay? And Paul is saying, uh, yes, it's okay, but if it, somebody else has a problem with it, then maybe you should avoid it. And, and so he goes on this, this whole conversation about what you should eat, which days are special. You know, they had different opinions on these things, like we do today. And so Paul is addressing this and, and working through these different things, what's okay to eat, drink, what days are special. And in verse 15, he says this. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by eating destroy your brother or sister for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So what he says, he says, uh, as, you, as you're working through these differences that you have among yourselves, uh, have in your actions, have a consciousness towards one another. And if the, something that you're doing causes problems for some, somebody else, one of your other brothers or sisters, then then be aware of that. And maybe don't do it because you recognize the problem that is creating for somebody else. He's saying that, that yes, you have every right to do these things. But the, the, the thing that determines your actions should not be, well, can I do it? Do I have the right to do it? Okay, then I can do it. And sometimes in our, in our world, in our culture, we, we have this mindset, well, I have the right to do this, and so no one should be able to stop me, and so I'm going to do it. But what Paul says is it, it's not about whether you can or can't. It's whether you should. What, is this healthy for the relationships that you are forming with the people around you? And the determining factor is not our rights and our privileges, but the determining factor is, is our relationships and, and the peace that is caused or the tension that is caused within those relationships. And so, yes, you have every right, Paul says, you have every right to eat whatever you want. But if, if your eating causes somebody else to stumble, then don't do it. And what he specifically has in mind here as he's talking about this, these things is he's talking specifically about those who, who are more mature in their faith, who have a, a stronger understanding. The people who are, who are often the ones who, who have this fuller understanding of, yes, I can do this and it's okay. Uh, Paul says you specifically should have a mind towards those who are younger than you, who are less mature than you, and you should be the one to seek peace. Oftentimes we expect the people who have the, le- the least amount of power, the least amount of maturity to, to reach up to our level of understanding and maturity. But what Paul actually says is those who are in power, 
those who have the maturity, you need to be the ones to defer to the weaker. We read a passage like this and sometimes we just assume that we're the weaker ones and everyone else should just cater to us. But Paul actually is reversing that. He's saying, actually, those of you who are older, more mature, make sure that you understand. If you have a sense that this is, this is the right way to do things, then you probably are in a, in a place where you're probably a little bit more mature and you need to start thinking about, but how am I treating the person around me? And so Paul says, again in verse 19 here, make every effort. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. It's the same word, pursue it, hunt it down. Make every effort to do the things that lead towards healing and peace in our relationships. We do this in our families we do this when we're, when we're arguing. I, maybe you guys do this. We do this sometimes, occasionally. Uh, and oftentimes we, we get into a position where I'm going to be right here. And I'm going to win this argument. And sometimes we say things that, that don't make any sense. Or, you know, we, we, we're holding our ground because we want to win and we're not working towards peace. We do this with our children sometimes. That, that we, we see them defying us or we see them doing something and we say, they might be right here, but I'm going to win. <laughs> and we're not working to build towards peace. We're not working to build one another up. I was listening to a story on the radio the other day. Uh, talking about one of the conflicts that's happening in the world, and, and they're interviewing this, this teenager that was going out at night and throwing stones at, at the military that is, is standing there. And here are these people with guns, and, and, he, and they're going out and they're throwing stones at them. And they say, Why, what are you hoping to accomplish? And he said, uh, throwing stones won't bring you victory, but it will bring you dignity. And sometimes in our fights, in our conflicts, in our relationships, uh, we're not necessarily trying to win. We're just trying to get some respect. Um, and so we're throwing stones and we're, and we're causing more conflict rather than working towards peace. And we'll end with this. Um, this time of year, we love the idea of peace, Right? We proclaim it, again, we write it on our Christmas cards, we, we talk about it, we sing about it, uh, we read about it. But the kind of peace that I think we really expect or when we think about, oh yeah, that's... The kind of peace is, is the peace where somebody else does what we want them to do, right? That's good peace, right? When we just get somebody to acquiesce to our own desires, um, or the kind of peace that we want is the peace where we just don't have to fight any, any longer. Uh, but the, the peace that Christ brought, the, the peace that we read about in Scripture, is a peace that costs. It's a peace that requires effort and work, and it costs us something. The peace that Christ brought cost Him something. And there's always a cost to peace. And the question is, as we, as we reflect on peace this morning, as we, as we 
sing about the Prince of Peace and we celebrate the Prince of Peace? Are we honoring the Prince of Peace by pursuing and chasing after peace? Are we willing to bear the cost of peace in our relationships? Or are we just expecting somebody else to bear that cost? If we truly want to worship the Prince of Peace this year, if we truly want to worship Him, we must be people who pursue peace at all costs. Let's pray. God, as we, as we celebrate this morning, as we celebrate this month, this season, uh, and the goodness that you have brought and the, and the mystery of the incarnation and uh, all that Christ accomplished um, through the cross, I pray this morning that there, if there is anyone here who, who has not been reconciled with you, has not received that forgiveness, uh, that they will do so this morning. And we pray for us, we pray for the conflicts, for the relationships that we have in mind as we've been thinking about peace this morning. God, give us the courage to pursue peace. Give us the courage to hunt it down and to, and to bring it about in our relationships. May we be people of relentless hope that peace is possible. And may we pursue it at all costs. Amen.